to Inside Sponsorship, the show that provides sponsorship professionals with advice, insights and news so they can maximise their commercial programmes and achieve best practice. Big sponsorship announcements are not commonplace right now as we still aim to get back to whatever normal is going to look like post-pandemic. That's why... It was great news to hear that Football Australia recently announced that the Commonwealth Bank will become the official naming rights partner and bank of the national women's team, known as the Matildas, as well as the Junior Matildas and Young Matildas from August 2021. Now, the initial four-year partnership will inject millions of dollars into elite women's football and grassroots initiatives around the country. And it's just the start of what is set to be an exciting new partnership. It's huge news for Football Australia. Australia as it comes as they move into a massive cycle of the Olympics, not only this year and then quickly again in 2024, but also the Asian Football Confederation Asian Cups 2022 and 2023. And of course, FIFA World Cups 2022 for the men, but also the Women's FIFA 2023 World Cup, which will be hosted by Australia and New Zealand. It's a packed schedule. Further and another feather in football's cap is the latest Sport Australia Ausplay study, which reaffirms football's position as the number number one team sport in Australia for both men and women. Now, the platform is certainly set to accelerate football's long-term growth and, of course, the Commonwealth Bank and Football Australia's other commercial partners will play a huge role in that growth. And that's why Tom Rishbeth, Head of Commercial and Events at Football Australia, is the perfect person to come on the show and not only discuss the exciting Commonwealth Bank partnership, but also Football Australia's wider commercial program. Hi, I'm Daniel Oyston, host of Inside Sponsorship, and you're listening to episode 96 brought to you by core software thanks so much for joining us wherever you are in the world and whatever your role in the sponsorship industry is it's great to have you with us for what promises to be a great chat with tom and i hope you are doing well now shout out time and it's cool because i have a few to get through so it's great to hear from lots of people you know i love it the first one goes out to Struan Campbell, who connected on LinkedIn and said, been listening to and enjoying the Inside Sponsorship Show. Well done for consistently creating valued industry content. I started a passion point agency in South Africa in 2012 and was acquired by MNC Saatchi Sport and Entertainment, essentially now their African arm at leverage.co.za. Great to hear from you, Struan, and congrats on the agency success. Very exciting. The next one was Mark Lawson, also on LinkedIn, and he connected and said, just listening to and enjoying episode 95. I'm entering the sports sponsorship market after spending 30 years in ad sales. So that's awesome, Mark. And I hope the transition is going well and it's a success for you and the podcast plays maybe a little bit of role in helping you ease into that. Now, Martin Bickenall, campaign manager at Golly Slater, also connected, and he's pitching a guest for the show. So that's really cool. That's awesome, Martin, and I'm looking forward to working through it with you and making that happen. Now, I think the email ball is in your court on that one, but please let me know if I'm wrong. Jonathan Coates as well, he got in contact and he told me, I'm about to embark on a new role in sponsorship, so I listened to your Best of 2020 podcast to get a taste for it, and I'll certainly tune in for more in the future. Oh, great to hear from you as well. Well, Jonathan, and I hope the new role is everything that you hope it will be. And last, but definitely not least, is Adam Thompson, Global Commercial Director at Adelaide United FC. 
And he said, I've just discovered your podcast last week and have enjoyed the first few I've listened to. So, Adam, this is what happens when you're new to the show and you get in contact. You get a shout-out as well. So I'm glad you are enjoying the show. And listeners, if you'd like a shout-out yourself, just like all those legends, then I'd love to give you one as well. I really do love hearing from the listeners. So please, get in contact with me on LinkedIn and say hi. Now, it's time to welcome Eva Ryder, Senior Marketing Manager at Core Software, to talk about her latest blog, How to Modernize Your Sponsorship Strategy. Here's Eva. Eva, welcome to the show. Core has spent nearly 20 years collaborating with professional sports teams, entertainment organizations, and brands. And based on that wealth of experience, you've identified five crucial sponsorship aspects that industry leaders capitalize on to stay ahead of the curve so important and that's to effectively modernize their sponsorship strategy let's start looking at them what's the first thing that sponsorship leaders do to stay ahead of the curve you know, to be effective communicators teams need to genuinely understand the story that they're telling too often organizations are telling stories both internally and externally that they simply don't know enough about Data isn't just useful for shaping marketing strategy. It also helps teams tell better stories about the work that they're doing, the why behind their investments, and helps teams even advocate for more budget in the areas where they might need it. And that ultimately leads to a more successful organization. But data can be messy. Formatting and benchmarking can be wildly inconsistent. And it can be extremely time consuming to find and assemble a clear story for a multitude of disparate data sets. With Core, your organization's insights, data, and metrics are all stored in one organized location. And this helps teams truly see how their partnerships are performing and learn what's resonating with their audiences and partners. So that's a huge value add. It makes sense because data is so important these days. We hear it over and over and over again. And it really does give us the opportunity to make properly informed decisions. But as you said, it can be messy. And I kind of feel like that's an understated word there, messy. However, I'm guessing that getting it right actually allows people to execute on your second point, right? And that is to streamline your activation management. Partnership assets can easily get missed, especially if you're managing multiple different kinds of assets, not to mention multiple partnerships. And brands may not notice gaps between what they're owed versus what has been activated on. When busy brands and rights holders are both preoccupied with multiple contracts and other partners, how do they always ensure that their deliverables are actually getting delivered on? Managing multiple sponsorship deals, timelines, and assets, it can all be an organizational nightmare, but it doesn't have to be, and that's what Core has really solved for. With our software, teams can store contracts and marketing assets, track deal progress, set deadlines, and manage calendars in one single location. They can even get reports to show when assets were delivered, which creatives were utilized, and get performance returns. So brands and agencies can gain a lot more control over their activations with us. 
definitely sounds as though we're focusing on being organized at the sort of the, the top of those sponsorships. And then we can move into the third point, which is utilizing measurement and benchmarking tools. That is the third thing that you've nominated that sponsorship leaders capitalize on to stay ahead of the curve. I know this one will prick a few people's ears because working in sponsorship, it can be quite insular. And sometimes people wonder how they compare to others and whether they're on the right track in their organization and industry. Yeah, like any business deal, a partnership's ROI is critical. Should you add more budget or shift your strategy? If the data is messy, your answers to those questions will be too. It's difficult to get useful KPIs from disparate systems with unclear insights and shallow reports. Even if you can, it can be a big waste of your team's time. One stat we like to use um, actually comes from IBM, which states that oftentimes teams spend 80% of their time cleaning and organizing data with only 20% spent on actual analysis, which is not where we want organizations to be. At Core, we've actually processed over 3 million sponsorship assets. And through hundreds of partnerships, those assets are coming from. So, so we have a really rich sponsorship data set to leverage that uniquely positions us to be able to benchmark your sponsorship results across industry landscapes. And through our consulting arm, this is where we can collaborate with agencies and brands to be more successful with their investments. The next one you've really zeroed in on an asset category, and that is understanding hospitality asset returns. That's the fourth one. And it's important considering how popular hospitality rights are. Hospitality assets are some of the most popular items included in partnership deals that we see. Actually, 76% of deals include them. They're really high impact, and they're a way to create long-lasting connections between brands, partners, and consumers. Plus, they're a great vessel for fostering strong relationships. They're actually some of the most valuable assets organizations leverage for a wide variety of objectives, such as customer appreciation, prospecting, employee engagement, and a lot more. With that said, most organizations don't really have a strong grasp on how to determine their hospitality assets, whether it's the true value behind them or understanding the ROI. So what we try to do is help organizations better understand that link between their hospitality assets and their unique objectives and allow them to get much more strategic with those assets to ensure returns. The fifth and the final point that you've nominated is to make smarter investments. And it's an interesting phrasing because everyone wants to, and and many like to think that they make smart investments, but how do sponsorship leaders capitalize on making smarter investments to ultimately, what we're talking about, stay ahead of the curve and modernize their sponsorships? So that's kind of an age-old problem, right? There's an abundance of investment opportunities, but rarely an abundance of funds and resources. And high-performing teams often don't have the time to vet or assess all these inquiries that come through all the time, causing team members to get bogged down by a laundry list of sponsorship proposals that they need to evaluate. So it often comes down to a gut instinct call which can mean that, you know, even with the best team, valuable opportunities sometimes get missed. And sometimes investments are made in the wrong places. By using Core, organizations can set up a customized data collection portal for partnership proposals. And by collecting the right data in the same way every time that's customized to their team's needs, they can more easily find the opportunities that match their criteria. 
and ensure that all opportunities are vetted equally, saving teams time and helping organizations make smarter investment decisions. Some really interesting points there, Eva. It's been a, a great chat. Listeners, if you'd like to read Eva's blog in slow time, head along to coresoftware.com and head to the blogs in the resource section. Eva Ryder, thanks so much for joining us on the show and we hope to have you again soon. Thank you so much, Daniel. Yeah, it was great talking to you. Really appreciate it. Big sponsorship announcements are not commonplace right now as we still aim to get back to whatever normal is going to look like post-pandemic. And that's why it was great news to hear that Football Australia recently announced that the Commonwealth Bank will become the official naming rights partner and bank of the national women's team, known as the Matildas, but also the junior Matildas and young Matildas from August 2021. Now, the initial four-year partnership will inject millions of dollars into elite women's football and grassroots initiatives around the country. And it's just the start of what is set to be an exciting new partnership. It's huge news for Football Australia as it comes as they move into a big cycle of international tournaments and on the back of recent news that football is still the number one team sport in Australia for both men and women. The platform is certainly set to accelerate football's long-term growth and of course the Commonwealth Bank and Football Australia's other commercial partners will play a big role in that growth. And that's why Tom Rishbeth, Head of Commercial and Events at Football Australia is the perfect person to come on the show and not only discuss the exciting Commonwealth Bank partnership, but also Football Australia's wider commercial program. Here's Tom. Tom, welcome to the show. You're a listener of the show, so you know already what is coming. The icebreakers to get us started for the listeners to get to know you a little bit before we jump into the serious stuff. Now, let's say you are playing in a five-a-side football tournament, and you need to find four more players because obviously you're going to take the field. You have to pick, these are the rules, you have to pick one current Socceroo, one current Matilda, one former Socceroo, so that gives you huge scope, and one other player from any other era or any other country. Who's making the team, Tom? Left-field icebreaker, very good. I'll probably start out by saying my colleagues and friends know that I've got absolutely no credibility on the pitch whatsoever, having grown up playing so I'll need a strong side. Current players, I think I can't go past Sam Kerr the way she's playing at the moment, getting ready for a Champions League debut for Chelsea and dominating over in Europe as she has in Australia for a long time. So Sam will be in, in the team. I'll probably pick Matty Ryan in goals, especially because of the shirt that he's wearing at the moment with Arsenal. Former Socceroo, I'm, I'm going to go with Damien Mori actually because growing up in Adelaide, he was really the first player I came aware of in my childhood when he was playing at Adelaide City. So I'll go with Damien. And then finally, another player from another era. I might go a little bit safe. I'm going to plug my colleague, Sarah Walsh, who had over 70 caps to the Matildas and is now head of women's football, World Cup legacy and inclusion and someone I'm spending a lot of time with and someone who's on-field persona sometimes comes out in the office as well. So I'll go with Walsh. Outstanding. I had put down who I thought you might have said for any other Socceroo, uh, past or present. I thought you might have picked Mark Viduka, but uh, you're right, Murray, very left field, and that's a, a great connection with where you're from in Adelaide, Australia. Now, Tom, tell us about the person who has really helped shape your career in sport. My career in sport really probably started with um, an opportunity to go and work with Judith Griggs, who is an Australian who spent a lot of her time working in Formula One. She gave me the chance to join her business called Sports Rights Management. At the end of 2013, I had 
done a law and commerce degree, was working at a law firm, thought that I wanted to work in sport, wasn't quite sure of what that might look like. And, and Judith gave me an opportunity to join the business as it, at its start and uh, alongside her and her business partner, Charles Garland, who is English and spent a lot of time in music, television, entertainment. I just had an incredible exposure to many different sport and entertainment rights holders, agencies, investors and other stakeholders across Europe, the US and, and, and Asia. And it just gave me a really incredible and accelerated education. I've probably learned everything I know about commercial rights from Judith. And she also instilled in me probably a bit of a balance between commercial lens and negotiating firmly, but also maintaining integrity and, and that you know, your reputation is something you carry forever, no matter where you work. And also that our industry, as many others are, is an incredibly small place. And you never know when you're going to be in a room with someone who you might be negotiating for, with, against, and that that might change very, very quickly. So I learned a lot of just general business learnings from Judith, as well as um, some more specific industry knowledge, which was really helpful. And then I think having played a bit of sport in my early years, I think some of the coaches that I had whilst that was in a, a playing environment, I think being involved with a sporting team and the sort of the level environment that it is that you can come across people from all walks of life coming together for the same purpose, regardless of their background and, and working together is something that gave me some really great life lessons and probably something I'd try and take into the work environment as well. Some wise lessons and guidance from Judith, but also the balance from being involved in team sports and, and as you said, different people from different walks of life. Tom, let's move to the main issue, the main topic of the show. Tell us about the partnerships portfolio that you manage at Football Australia. What does it look like? Football Australia's key products or properties, if you like, are our, are our national teams, which are the Socceroos and the Westfield Matildas. We run junior pathway programs as well. We have a nationwide participation program called Mini Roos that we have commercial support for, as well as the FFA Cup, which is Australia's largest community to professional sporting event and, and similar to some of the listeners in the UK and other football nations are familiar with the FA Cup and the knockout format that that is. So those are the key commercial properties that we have and list of partners if I've got an opportunity to, to obviously plug their support are. Uh, Westfield, major long-term partner of the game and, and the naming rights partner of the Westfield Matildas and also the Westfield W League. Nike's been a very long-term and major partner of ours. We have Procter & Gamble through Pantene, Mondelez through Cadbury, Priceline Pharmacy. We've just launched an expanded partnership with Rebel, which is Australia's largest sports retailer. We have a partnership with Seven Consulting uh, for the Westfield Matildas, Perfection Fresh Australia, one of Australia's largest fresh produce companies. Um, I'm going to make sure I don't uh, forget any Qantas, our airline partner, Telstra. And then most recently, we, we announced that Commonwealth Bank will be joining us in August as the new naming rights partner of the women's national teams and an official partner of the Socceroos and, and Mini Roos. Very, very exciting. Some great sponsors there. Plenty of familiar brand names, not just in Australia, but international brand names as well. Tom, when you bring a new sponsor into the portfolio. What is your process for onboarding them and, and settling them in and helping them feel welcome and part of the organisation? And I might muddle the question a bit by asking what you also do in a formal sense as the partnership progresses over time. What do you do over and above the normal sort of what we expect in terms of scheduled updates and meetings and whips and things like that? Do you do things like sponsor days where you bring them all together? 
to start with, I guess once the contract is signed, there's probably a few steps internally and, and externally with a partner. There's there's internal briefings that happen cross department with relevant stakeholders so that everyone in our organisation is briefed on the background to the partnership, what we're looking to achieve and deliver. We obviously have different stakeholders, whether, you know, for example, if it's a national team's partner, we need to make sure that the, the national team's unit and staff know that we need to be doing when the teams are in camp. We have our events team, we have our, our marketing and comms team, obviously. So there's usually a pretty big session internally just to make sure that everyone's really clear of what we're looking to achieve for the partner from the outset. And then we would typically arrange a workshop between the partner's team and ours as soon as possible just to set out objectives, roles, responsibilities, things like meeting cadence key dates around games, seasons, other milestones, et cetera. And I guess that's a yeah, probably a relatively typical way of setting it up. And then I've got a fantastic team who manage our partners on a on a day-to-day account management perspective who do a do an incredible job. I guess in terms of moving beyond that, it's obviously been a pretty challenging environment. The, I joined Football Australia 15 months ago, March 2nd, and um, that needing to go into too much of the detail about 11 days later, COVID-19 officially shut the world down and it was a pretty interesting ride since then. So, yeah, we arranged a partner summit late last year, which was a, a half physical, half virtual event where we um, we brought a number of our partners who could make it to Sydney in, a, in Australia where, where our office and a number of our partners are based. We had a number of partners and agencies dialing in via teleconference in a socially distant room, which is a bit of an odd environment, but certainly those types of events partner summits and other sort of more regular programming is starting to be planned and will hopefully be a little bit easier to manage this year. But it's definitely something I think there's a lot of benefit from. I think gone are the days of maybe some rights holders being nervous around all their partners being in the same room in case someone each other what they're paying. One of the most powerful things of having a partnership portfolio and of being a rights holder who brings brands into the same places that we become that sort of central focal point of of passion and mutual attention from some of our partners and then if we can look for ways to facilitate business between them as well as directly with us that's really strong and I guess we've had success doing that in the past with the likes of Nike as a partner of ours and Revel as a major sports retailer and looking to ways to work together so the more opportunities for us to actually be in the room with our partners and sharing information about what we're doing and what they're doing I think is really important so for us we obviously are slightly different to a perhaps a club or a league that has week in, week out regular programming where you're hosting people at events and that consistency is something that that works in a certain fashion. We probably have to have other ways that we continue to engage over the course of the year in and around our national team's events. Oh, I think it's a great attitude and a great approach. Tom, as you mentioned before, a few weeks back, Football Australia announced that Commonwealth Bank will become in August this year, 2021, the official naming rights partner and bank of the national women's team, which is known as the Matildas, but also the junior Matildas and the young Matildas in what is an initial four-year partnership. It's an amazing win, a great win for Football Australia because right in the middle of that four-year agreement is the 2023 FIFA Women's World Cup, which will be hosted in Australia and New Zealand. Now, the Commonwealth Bank believes that it will be the largest supporter of women's sport in Australia because they also have a long-standing relationship with cricket. They're a big player in the market. They're a big supporter of women's sport. Give us a sense of how long it took from the initial approaches to them to get this partnership wrapped up. Thanks, Daniel. Yeah, we're obviously really, really excited to have announced the partnership with Commonwealth Bank. I think as perhaps many listeners will know that these things take 
a long time. Um, we we have had Westfield and and have Westfield as our naming rights partner with the Matildas for for over twelve years now. Who have been the biggest investor in women's football in this country and. To be frank, the sport wouldn't be where it is today without Westfield support. Um, they were very open and transparent that um, with the knowledge that our current agreement is due to expire for those rights in on 31 July this year, they are very open with us to be able to go and have conversations with the market. And as you said, there's a there's a pretty incredible trajectory for the sport and especially women's football in Australia, knowing that we are going to be co-hosting the FIFA Women's World Cup in 2023. So it was a really interesting process. We we had some interest, but you know, Commonwealth Bank, the scale of the organisation that it is, as you mentioned, they've they've got a great history of supporting sport and women's sport in this country. And we're just super excited to get rolling with it later on this year. Football Australia's last participation report was in 2019. And at the time, it showed that there had been an 11% growth in women and girls' participation in football to almost 157,000 participants. And today, I saw a report that showed that football is the number one team sport in Australia for both men and women. The upcoming World Cup for women is going to generate huge interest, especially because it's going to be time zone friendly, which is not something that happens often for Australian football fans and tournaments. What can Football Australia offer sponsors in the years either side of that Women's World Cup? There's probably a bit to unpack there. Certainly for us, we think that the sport in Australia is in a yeah in its most exciting position than perhaps it's ever been. I think for perhaps some context for international listeners to this podcast. You know, Australia is a hyper-competitive sporting environment. We have more professional clubs per capita than nearly any other place in the world. We have four football codes. Football isn't by far the number one code in every metric like it is in many other markets. So within that environment, there's there's opportunities and challenges from a commercial standpoint as there is in any marketplace but i think we're at a really interesting point now where we do have as you've mentioned a huge participation base and this huge core of both participants and and fans of the sport that are football fans whether they support local clubs or they support international clubs whether they support their community club many of those we know jump on board the national teams and the Socceroos and the westfield matildas when they're playing and i guess australian sporting fans are known for lifting during those major events and those big major national pride and the green and gold are on stage. I think there's a statistic that uh, in the 2018 FIFA World Cup, I think Australia had the third most number of travelling fans of any country from Australia to Russia, even though we're yeah, not necessarily a chance of lifting the, the cup at that stage, but Aussies love getting behind the team. And I think we've seen some other metrics around the soccer who's won the 2015 AFC Asian Cup when we hosted it in Australia and the year after that we saw a 20% uplift in participation so we know that when we have those years where there are major events where the national teams are playing that also inspires participation and greater engagement with the sport and as you mentioned we've got a FIFA Women's World Cup happening in Australia and New Zealand in 2023 but we also have over the next couple of years we have two lots of Olympics this year 2024 we have two lots of Asian Cups, we have two World Cups and we've got more participants in the game than ever before. So I think tying it back to your question about what it can offer sponsors, we've got this really amazing opportunity to tie in a huge base of participation and interest in the sport with some really major moments over the next few years when 
our national teams will be playing in those big inspiring tournaments and and lifting those community participants up. So that's been a big focus for us to try and tie in opportunities to offer rights to commercial partners that give them access to those national teams, but also tie that in with with initiatives that allow them to support the masses at the at the grassroots community base. And interestingly, that's actually been where a lot of the the inward coming interest has been, especially off the back of I think the effect of coronavirus and, and the impact that that's had on society. There are many brands that are really looking to show that they are supporting communities bounce back from this financial, physical, mental disaster that many people are still dealing with. And sport is obviously a way to to help people feel happier and healthier and better. And therefore, a lot of brands are looking to support the, the bounce back from sport. I think that was something that was really interesting for our organisation as a governing body last year that we govern the sport, we are interested in the sport, having success at every single level, the dollars that Football Australia make go back into the sport. So one of the biggest things for us when coronavirus hit was how fast can we actually get grassroots sport back because we know that that's the lifeblood of of the nation. And when you have people that are dealing with with work crises or or personal crises, you don't have the people who are going to volunteer on the weekends to coach or to referee or to cook the sausages or open the canteen. So it was really important for us, again, as a governing body, taking off the pure commercial lens on this is actually really important for us to make sure the sport could get back at a community level. And that was something that was of great importance to us. And it's nice to see that slowly starting to to bounce back, not just in Australia, where we're perhaps slightly more fortunate at the moment than others, but um, in other territories around the world too. Very interesting, very exciting. Commonwealth Bank's commitment to women's football supports Football Australia's Legacy 23 plan. Tom, tell us about what that plan is and, and how much of an important element that is in attracting partners at the moment. So Legacy 23 is a, a plan that we launched at Parliament House in Canberra, which is the capital city of Australia, earlier this year. What it is is Football Australia's plan to ensure that we realise long-term benefits from co-hosting the the FIFA Women's World Cup in 2023. I think as there's a lot of commentary around what major events can do for can do for a country from an economic standpoint, from a tourism perspective, from a, a participation in sport perspective. But you know, often legacy is something that's thought about relatively soon prior to the event or or it's something that you know we'll deal with that post the events left. And there's been a lot of commentary around the cost of hosting mega events around the world. And I think for us as the governing body, again, FIFA is is the organisation that's ultimately tasked with delivering that event. But for us, we can start planning now to make sure that we capitalise on those you know, few weeks in 2023 to ensure the long-term growth of the sport. So Legacy 23 is essentially designed around five pillars around participation. The biggest goal that we've got is reaching gender parity and participation for women and, and men in football by 2027. And we know that having all eyes on the sport in 2023 can help accelerate that goal. You know, the second pillar is community facilities, so improving football grounds, giving more people opportunity to play around the country. There's a leadership and development pillar, which is all around supporting women and girls through educational programs to ensure we've got greater representation in key roles, whether that be coaching, referees, administration around the country as well. There's a diplomacy and, and national engagement pillar. And finally, a, a high performance pillar as well, obviously, you know, getting more opportunities for our national teams to to play on the world stage. So what that plan does is set out a whole range of programs and initiatives that we've 
we've costed out the the plans are there and then there's a there's a stage program of I can ask for for government funding there's opportunities for commercial partners to get involved for philanthropy as well and again for us it's all about starting the work right now to make sure that the game grows between now 2023 and for the next 15 to 20 years beyond that and is that a key thing that you put into your pitches to sponsors at the moment yeah i think that vision is something that we're seeing a lot of interest in i think it's helpful to be able to have a clearly defined set of objectives some of which we can clearly enumerate as i said you know we are very bullish and we came out well before we won the rights to co-host the world cup that we wanted to reach gender parity by 2027 i think some of those goals and aims and objectives are, are things that you know, commercial partners like to be able to attack, attach themselves to. There are things that enable them to be part of the, the genuine narrative of helping grow the sport and helping support our community. And so I think having something in writing that we're going to deliver, that we've got a framework around already, has been really helpful for, for me and the team to go out to market with and say, look, we're on this journey we are going to achieve these goals. We need to do it regardless. But with your support, if you come on board, you can help us get there faster and you can also be part of that narrative genuinely as well. And we're seeing a lot of interest in that. Yes, it must be exciting for the sponsors to hear that vision and and hear about how they can be part of it. And without putting too crude or or fine a point on it, it obviously can present some commercial opportunities for them. So, Tom, apart from the obvious cash injection and what Football Australia can do with it, especially when you talk about that vision – what makes Commonwealth Bank such a great partner for Football Australia? What do they bring to the table as a partner to you as an organisation? Scale, ambition, proven ability to affect real change in a, in a sport. You mentioned their relationship with cricket. They've done an incredible job there. The organisation has over 48,000 staff, 15 million customers. They're Australia's strongest brands based on the latest brand finance report uh, at the start of the year. So for us to have an organisation of, of that scale and, and the strength the organisation has in this country and beyond is just, one, a really great endorsement, I think, of what we're looking to achieve and some of those objectives that I set out beforehand, but also, you know, the, the power that they have in that organisation is is already evident from um, from the dealings that we've had and they're, and they're also just a wonderful group of people. So we're really excited about what we're going to be able to do together. There's a, a real genuine commitment for them to you know, work with us and, you know, within the agreement, there's obviously a whole range of, of rights that, uh, that they are granted, but there's a clear ambition to, to go over and above and, and be a really proactive promoter of the sport, which we're super excited by. Some strong points there about what they bring to the table. And you just said twice there that, that you're excited. What is exciting for you about all of this? If we look at the nitty gritty, what are you looking forward to activating and executing on in this partnership? I think there's just so many areas of opportunity to drive genuine change in the sport. And I think that's what is so exciting about being involved in the sport at this point in time in the lead up to a World Cup at a point in time where there's just this incredible surge of, of growth in, in women's football. We're, yeah, we're lucky that the West Hill Matildas are a highly ranked team internationally. We've got some of the best players in the world straining their stuff for the biggest footballing brands in the world. They're inspiring the next generation of players and commercial partnerships of this scale can genuinely help drive that growth even further. So we've talked about it internally and, and with a number of the staff internally, this it might be a bit of a sales pitch, but it's genuine. Like This partnership is going to change lives. And that's what is so exciting about the scale of it, the ambition of it, 
and the objectives were already set out with um, with Commonwealth Bank and internally. So I think that's what is exciting about working within sport, right? And again, we've we've got the commercial hat on in this in this podcast, and and the listeners are all about how do we generate as much revenue out of the environment that we work in. But at the end of the day, that money that gets tipped into more people playing the game, more people falling in love with the game, more people being inspired by their hero athletes and this type of partnerships just going to increase that over the next four and hopefully many more years. So um, I'm trying to think of other words beyond excited. Yeah, I just keep thinking excitement, 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 but I also wonder whether it's a little bit overwhelming, right? There's such a huge opportunity. There's a there's a window. There's clearly defined goals. You've got a strong and powerful sponsor on board, but I'm, I'm sure you'll be fine, Tom. It's, it's a huge opportunity. And as you keep saying, it's very exciting. So the sponsorship landscape has changed a lot over the past 10 years, not least because of the maturation of digital assets, although some would probably argue that there's still a fair bit of space in the industry to uh, grow in the use of digital assets and do better on that front. If the partnership with Commonwealth Bank was signed, let's say, 10, 15 years ago, how would it have looked different in terms of the assets mix and the rights, do you think? Uh, interesting question. Look, I think you're right. Starting with the 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 need for better in digital integration and and more digital assets, that's certainly something that, um, yeah, every year there's more opportunity and there's probably more competition uh, in terms of what rights holders can deliver for sponsors in that space as well. So, 10, 15 years ago, yeah, the the, the internet wasn't as advanced as it was now. Sponsorship was probably still seen as relatively linear in terms of the the types of rights and how you would bring that together but there are just so many more opportunities in the in the world that we live in now that give sponsors a much bigger always on proposition and i think that's probably the phrase that when i'm sure many of my colleagues continue to get asked is that you know partners are wanting a, a 365 day proposition when they're investing into a sponsorship and i think the beauty of sponsorship and and investment into to sport and entertainment partnerships is that they can be that true 360-degree marketing opportunity if they're done right because you have your influencer marketing, you have your digital integration, you have above-line opportunities, you have you know, major opportunities to bring, to bring people together in a physical sense and inspire them. So I think that's where brands that do it really well and, and understand the power of sponsorship can really get yeah, a few legs ahead done right but, um, yeah, it's probably a good question, Daniel, to go back and compare some contracts from 15 years ago on the, in the FFA archives and see how that looks. I haven't actually done that exercise, but maybe you've inspired me to do that. <laughs> well, speaking of exercises, that's quite a good little segue into the next question here, and that is that Australia's been fairly insulated from the severe impacts of the pandemic, but every industry talks about emerging from the pandemic and, and new normals and permanent changes and and phrases like that, a lot of businesses have taken the opportunity to to slow down, maybe forced to slow down in some cases, but to slow down and have a serious look at their operations, including marketing and sponsorship. What's the general tone and, and attitude around sponsorship at the moment in the market from the brand side? I think it's really mixed, to be frank. I think some businesses have seen it as a massive opportunity to potentially get a step ahead of their competitors. I think we all know that there's a tendency sometimes in some organisations that at times of crises, it's often the marketing budget that gets looked at first to, to trim. But I think there were some pretty good case studies last year where 
businesses double down on their marketing spend and double down on their support of community and and look to get their brand out there and proactively show that their brand is is strong and is still doing what it's doing and they probably won during that period so i think it's a similar yeah it's it's been a really interesting process out in the market speaking with brands and businesses there's certainly still many that are a little bit concerned about reinvesting and i think there's there's probably many that have been involved in sponsorship and and perhaps some of those brands that were maybe newer to sponsorship and had just launched into new deals last year that all of a sudden didn't quite pan out the way they thought. Maybe there's a little bit of hesitation internally around, do we want to get involved in this again? That's probably not talking personal experience, but definitely from from talking with various colleagues around how they've attacked it. But I think it's a major opportunity for for businesses to look at how they engage in sponsorship, maybe in a different way. But the, the summary is probably mixed. There's There's been some organisations that you get into a meeting with and it's quite clear that they're not just ready and, yeah, we'll, we, we don't want to make a commitment just yet, come back in six months or nine months once the, a calm down, which is absolutely fine. But I think there's a, there's absolutely been others that have recognised this is a, as a major opportunity. And the fact is there are still huge amounts of opportunity to engage with customers and consumers through sport and through the passion that sport provides even in an environment where games might not be happening in the normal way or there's less crowds or whatever it might be. But, yeah, it's sometimes hard to know that until you're sitting in front of people in the meeting room and talking about what their strategy is at that current point in time. And I think, the, again, the reality is that this thing's changed day by day, week by week, month by month, depending on where you live, depending on which state you live in, whether it's in Australia or which country you live in internationally. So it is difficult to forecast and have have certainty, but... There's certainly companies that have done a pretty good job of, of doubling down, I think. And what about internally? Every rights holder spent some time initially sort of scrambling and, and shoring up agreements and maybe adjusting benefits that they could still deliver during a pandemic. And I know you were only in the role, I think you said it was for only about 11 days before COVID shut the world down. But did you use that time in the pandemic early on at all to look at different ways of selling and offering the rights at Football Australia, almost maybe for the organisation as a whole, obviously not for you because you hadn't been in the role for that long, but maybe almost as a circuit breaker of sorts? It's no doubt been a massive challenge. I think all of us have been having to spend a lot of time, more time than you know, one would hope on on dealing with all the issues of the pandemic and and working out you know, how to deal with or find ways to deliver additional value or being creative in the way that we do offer up value if you know, games can't be happening or if other access points aren't available because of the pandemic. So there's been a lot of that work and a lot of that is it's been reactive. There's been you know, periods of time where you, you get a little bit of uh, time to look up and, and think about future strategy. And I certainly think it's allowed us to challenge the way that we've worked, come up with ideas, especially from a digital marketing perspective. Our team's been absolutely incredible and have driven some really great results over the last 12 months despite the pandemic. And probably some of that has shown us that actually there's a lot more that we can do in that space and a lot more that we can offer partners. And we were forced to innovate and forced to throw new things out there like, for example, hosting watch parties for famous archive matches of our Socceroos and Matildas games, which was something we rolled out last year that that got some really great engagement. And yeah, those are things we hadn't really thought about before because in the yeah, the typical year we're just thinking about the live event. So there's definitely been opportunities to to come up with new creative ideas to keep our fans engaged. And then that obviously allows us to go and talk to sponsors and say, hey, what about attaching yourself to this? But yeah, it's been a 
it has been an, an up and down um, process. There's been weeks where it's been all brilliant. And there's been weeks where it's been challenging, and and that's just the environment that we continue to live in. But I think we've been fortunate that our partners have been really supportive. Still believe in the in the the vision for the growth of the game. And the reality is that their businesses have been challenged, and their marketing plans have been thrown into chaos. And depending on the nature of their business, there's been things that have been incredibly detrimental. You look at Qantas, a major partner of ours, they haven't been able to get the planes in the air. So everyone's been dealing with it, I think, and I think there's been a, you know, a quite a nice sense of camaraderie in terms of getting through it together, and that's been a really positive outcome, I think, and, and hopefully that keeps us in good stead for when things start getting back to normal. I love the idea of the watch party. I'd be happy to watch the Uruguay World Cup qualifying game and then the Kaiserslautern versus Japan game on repeat at a watch party every day of the week, Tom. Now, speaking of the Socceroos, they're scheduled to play their four remaining preliminary 2022 FIFA World Cup qualifiers in a hub between May 31 and June 15. So it's only sort of a couple of weeks away. That's going to be in Q8. Now, some of those were scheduled to actually be played in Australia, but the strict quarantine restrictions here have prevented that happening. The Socceroos haven't actually played since 15th of November 2019. So correct me if I'm wrong, you haven't actually been in the role and had a live Socceroos game being played. How excited are you to have the Socceroos back out on the pitch and activating again after such a long break? Not wrong, Daniel. It's um, it's it's exciting. Uh, you're right. It's been an interesting period of time in, in joining a role and, and not actually getting to a match. But the Socceroos, they're they're, a, they're an incredible brand. We've got a, a huge fan base in Australia, but they've been you know largely dormant. So to have them finally back re-engaged, the the team and the support staff fly out for a couple of weeks. The the way the AFC are, are running these qualifiers is there's various hubs across Asia. So as you've mentioned, we've got four games in Q8, but it's really exciting for us. They're um. They've obviously got a great history and, and the nation turns on for when we're in that World Cup qualifying process. So it's something that, yeah, the entire organisation's excited by. That's what a lot of people in our organisation are about. They're about putting on great games of football, getting great people out on the pitch and, and, and trying to win. And it's been a challenge for many within the business to to not be able to do what yeah a lot of us feel like we exist for. So whether it's Graham Arnold, the Socceroos coach, finally having a bit of a spring in his step because he's now he's going to get back out on the pitch and he's getting very being very restless in an office environment. Or it's the playing group who, yeah, our players in the Socceroos and the and the Westfield Matilda squads play all over the world, whether that be Europe, Asia, in the US. But they all absolutely love pulling on the green and gold jersey. So I know they're absolutely chomping in the bit, and um, I think it's going to be really interesting because coronavirus has meant that certain teams and nations have had better preparation than others. Some have been playing more regularly, some haven't. So I think that jeopardy, which is the beauty of sport, is um, probably at a heightened level for these next games. So we obviously hope they, they all go off smoothly and safely and naturally that the Australian teams have some good results. I agree. I love watching the Socceroos. I'm very much looking forward to those Socceroos games that are coming up. All four of them won't miss one of them. Are the sponsors excited about it, Tom? Yeah, look, I think any time the team's back on, everyone's pretty happy. So there's certain commercial rights that, that we have during those games. There are certain commercial rights that sit with, with AFC. Um, as many listeners will know, in the in many sports, but certainly football, there are different sub-segments of right that we control. But absolutely, it's just uh, to have one of our, our biggest national teams back on deck and, and getting ready for the, for the biggest event in the world. Super exciting. So it's nice for us to be able to get our partners excited by that as well as our fans. 
Let's talk about your community partners at Football Australia. Now, I want to ask a specific question about them. But firstly, can you give us a bit of a rundown on some of the community partners that Football Australia works with? So within the Football Australia portfolio, a couple I mentioned earlier, Priceline, Cukes, which is a brand from Perfection Fresh, Rebel, they all support our Minerals program. So they're a couple of the key ones. And then as the football pyramid in Australia works, we have Football Australia as a governing body and then our, our member federations and state bodies um, deliver certain activity and community and grassroots programs on the ground as well, and they have their own commercial partners as well. But Priceline, Perfection Fresh and Rebel are, are three of our major community partners. And what about corporate social responsibility, Tom? Is is there much chance to integrate corporate social responsibility that Football Australia looks after with what the big brands, the sponsors already want to be involved in? Are they looking for more corporate social responsibility or are they? is the attitude a little bit, we've got that covered, we don't need Football Australia's help? No, 100%. I think that's an increasing opportunity for sports in terms of potentially opening up different budgets within an organisation because I think that link between corporate social responsibility, diversity and inclusion initiatives, health initiatives, I think there are so many opportunities that, that sport can provide that help achieve many of the goals that, that corporates are, are looking to deliver on. So absolutely, I mean, the majority of conversations that we have are really trying to drive a holistic business relationship so we're trying to pitch obviously you know traditional marketing assets that can be exploited through the traditional sponsorship lens but in all the conversations that we're having we're really trying to get a a deeper commitment to either other programs that we're running and i mentioned that i'm spending a lot of time with sarah walsh who who runs our diversity and inclusion programs as well but there's a lot of things that we're looking to deliver on the ground that we think that corporate partners might be able to assist with that might actually support some of their programs and or there might be initiatives that they support that we can collaborate on as well. An example, last year we partnered with the Black Dog Institute, which is a mental health supporter in Australia and a number of commercial partners work with Black Dog Institute as well. We'd had a partnership with Red Cross Australia as well and I think those types of partnerships enable you to work with your sponsors in a broader way as well. So absolutely that's a a key focal point of our commercial strategy is ensuring that our position as a corporate citizen matches up with the values of the corporate partners that we want to do and that we get that support from corporate partners in that space as well. And I think there's been some really interesting case studies that are starting to come out in that space as well. A lot of community funds or club grants or facilities funds that sponsors are starting to to launch on top of their sponsorship relationship with, with rights holders. And there's been some good case studies of that in Australia recently and and more broadly where brands, I think, are looking to use some of the assets, the IP association, the access to talent that they might have through their sponsorship to then create a bigger, broader community program, whether that be a grants program where community clubs can go into the running to win a facilities upgrade or a $10,000 grant to go towards equipment. It's been a really interesting and marked acceleration I've seen certainly in Australia of those types of deals starting to happen as I said because I think brands really want to make sure that they're being seen to support local communities, local businesses and local volunteers so I think that model is going to stay for a long time.
And for want of a better phrase, it becomes a victimless crime, right? Everybody wins. The brand wins, the community wins, the rights holder wins. It's a triangle that's a win-win-win for everybody. So it's it's great to see. Now, Tom, a bit of a gear shift as we start to wind down our chat. I've been racking my brain to try and figure out who I've had on the show already who is a member of the Muller Group because that's a name that may be familiar with listeners because it's come up in the podcast before. I did some searching on the internet and tried to search through show notes but I could not find out who the person was who'd been on the show, who was involved in the Muller Group. You might be able to tell me. But in fact, you are a co-founder of the Muller Group. So for the listeners, refresh our memory about what the group does and also how people can get involved with it. Well, the Muller Group is a, a network of, of Australians who work in the sports industry, largely in the UK. Uh, it was, yeah, as you mentioned, a, a, an idea that was born out of a couple of beers with some mates, James Earl, who is the head of um, Floodgate LLP, who I think might have been a, on the show beforehand. So so James runs a sports practice at Floodgate in London and and also Nick Meacham, who's the managing director of Sports Pro Media, who many of the listeners might be familiar with. And yeah, it was interesting. I, I was relatively new to to London, but having landed relatively soon, I, I met a few Aussies and, and James and I actually met at, at the Sport Accord convention in Turkey of all places in 2014 and he literally heard an Aussie accent at the end of the day's one programming and said, mate, where are you from? And I went over and said day. and turns out that we'd both gone to law school in Adelaide and, yeah, typical thing, two Aussies in a random place on the other side of the world and you end up becoming best mates. And I think we... Firstly, just thought, well, there are lots of sports business conferences and networking events and, and industry events, and, and and they're all wonderful. But we thought that maybe there was a, a bit of a, a niche opportunity just to get you know, a smaller group that was dedicated to helping you know, Aussies living on the other side of the world who are all working in the industry. And we know that Aussies have got a, a relatively decent reputation on the field of sport, but also you know, off the field. And there are many great Australians that have worked in yeah, senior positions in, in international sporting organisations as well. So Jim, Nick and I sort of said, oh, well, maybe we should just try and get everyone together for a beer at a pub in London at some point and see how we go. And we flicked a few emails around the first event. I think we had nearly 40 people there. We went, hang on a minute, this is a bit bigger than we thought. And then in a space for a few years, we, I think we have nearly 200 members in the Muller Group now. And yeah, we partnered with the Australian High Commission in London and and ran events with them to promote sports diplomacy and, and other initiatives in, in the UK. And then I think there's been a few people that have sort of sprung out into into New York and other areas. And it's just been a really, really wonderful way for people within the industry that have got, I guess, a mutual point of connection to to Australia to, to stick together. And what was really nice about it is that we started getting emails whenever an Aussie was maybe coming over to London looking for a job or had landed a job in the sports industry. They were able to get in touch and relatively quickly meet 10, 20, 30 people who were, had some similarities. And I think it's just been a really great way for people to develop relationships and people have now, we've got stories of people within the Muller Group hiring other people from the Muller Group. We've got people from the Muller Group in London who have now back in, in Australia like myself and it's just been a really nice organic thing that to be frank hasn't had too much structure around it but it's just really grown organically. So I know it's been a bit of a challenge in in the UK for, for the Muller Group to get together too often over the last 12 to 18 months. But I think the team have got um, a few ideas around that. But it's been really wonderful to see it grow and to, to hear stories about how people have um, benefited from it. And um, yeah, long may it continue. 
James Earl from Floodgate Lawyers. That was who I was trying to think of. So thanks for jogging my memory and hi to James if you're listening. Now, Tom, how important are industry groups like the Muller Group in terms of people being able to get out and socialise and network with their peers in the sports space, whether it's something that's a little bit organic like the Muller Group or maybe it's something that's more structured that has some formal membership? Is it something that you would encourage people in the industry, particularly people in sponsorship, because I, I kind of get the sense that can feel a little bit insular working in sponsorship sometimes that they should be getting out there and actively pursuing some networking like that yeah absolutely would absolutely encourage people to get along as, as much as possible i think a lot of people in the sports industry are naturally the people that like enjoying building relationships and meeting people and hearing different points of view and i think it is important to as you said sometimes if you're working in the day-to-day you can get a little bit insular and just think about things with your own organization's lens on but it's really good to get out and hear how different people attack it and not just within the sporting industry, but I think other general um, business events or opportunities to meet people from different walks of life is really useful from a business sense more broadly. And I think there's plenty of opportunities to do it and it doesn't take too much extra effort to get along. I think that's certainly been something that I've struggled with landing back in Australia. Even though I'm an I'm Australian, I'm not, I'm not from Sydney originally. I've been with the organisation for a brief period of time and, and through COVID there weren't those regular opportunities to get out and about and meet people so it's been really nice over the last couple of months to actually finally go out to go to external meetings and and find a few more events to to go along to and and just get out there and hear other people's point of views so yeah 100 percent. if there's anyone listening that's that's starting their career or or even looking to to accelerate i think being in and around other professionals within the industry is incredibly important because as i said you never know when they might end up being a client employee employer adversary none of it matters you can always learn from them right correct absolutely 100 percent agree tom fantastic chat and speaking of learning from other people and connecting with people if the listeners want to continue the conversation with you connect with you what can they do where can they go how do they get in touch with you the easiest way linkedin i guess tom rishbeth i've got a bit of a curly name but i'd be relatively easy to find um but yeah love meeting people and i think i've really enjoyed being involved in this industry because it's global so really fortunate to have met great people in australia and otherwise and um always love learning and hearing from new people so um always up for a chat and don't worry listeners he does have a curly name but we will put a direct link in the show notes but also in the close for the show i will spell it out for you now tom rishbeth Head of Commercial and Events at Football Australia. Thank you so much for taking us inside Football Australia's commercial program. Thanks, Dan. Really appreciate it. Cheers. Now, listeners, I know I usually say another thank you here just as we've finished up with the guest, but I really wanted to highlight how grateful I am to Tom for coming on the show. Getting Tom on the show was a little rushed as we recorded this pretty much at the 11th hour to be able to get this show out on time. So a huge thanks again to Tom because I can tell you he is very, very busy at the moment and he juggled this to fit it into his life. So it's very much appreciated. And so it was great to hear about his work at Football Australia and the success that they're having. And as I've said a few times, the platform is certainly set to accelerate football's long-term growth. And of course, the Commonwealth Bank, we heard a lot about them. And Football Australia's other commercial partners will play a huge role in that growth. Of course, so will Tom, and we look forward to seeing many more successes. You can connect with Tom on LinkedIn. Just search for Tom Rishbeth. That's R-I-S-C-H-B-I-E-T-H. 
or visit footballaustralia.com.au to learn more about the organisation. If you want to connect with me, you can do so on LinkedIn. Just search for Daniel Oyston. That's O-Y-S-T-O-N. You know I'd love to hear from you and be able to give you a shout-out as well. And also, if you want to connect with Eva Ryder, Senior Marketing Manager at Core Software, you can catch her on eva.riedere at coresoftware.com or search for her on LinkedIn as well. That's a wrap for episode 96. Until next time, I'm Daniel Oyston. Thanks for listening to Inside Sponsorship. Thanks for listening to the show. For more episodes and to subscribe to the show, search for Inside Sponsorship on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever it is you listen to your podcasts. Also, for more free industry-specific resources, including blogs, eBooks, white papers, and our Insights newsletter, head to coresoftware.com. Finally, be sure to follow Core Software on Twitter and LinkedIn.